Good morning. Today's scripture is from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the church and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Good morning again. We just sang uh, Stand Up for Jesus. And so this morning, from the scriptures you're going to hear, and from the message to some degree, you're going to hear that we all, it, we all need to stand up for Jesus right now. The, uh, that's better. Can you hear me better? I was saying you need to stand up for Jesus. I believe, I believe um, very strongly that the Holy Spirit is directing this, this body, this church here at Spring Road to begin to get the message out to those who don't know Christ. And today you're going to hear a little bit about why you should be part of that. What's going on in this world is just screaming for Jesus. And it's going on, it's like Ray said in class Wednesday night, there's nothing new under the sun. It's gone on before. But there, there is a time and a place, as David said, and I believe, we believe that the time is now for this congregation to start to exert its, its faith in Christ. If you haven't missed it, Christ and God has sent a great many uh, younger folks to this congregation, and that's a lot different than a lot of congregations uh, around town. And I truly believe, we truly believe that there's a reason for that. And that we need to uh, take advantage of our resources to see what we can accomplish. This community needs Christ. And today's message is going to uh, hopefully, uh, through the Holy Spirit, kind of spur your mind in those directions. 
I want to start with, is that too loud? Just fine? Okay. I want to start with, uh, I, I've got quite a few scriptures this morning, but I want to start in Exodus 32. For, for the last few years, I've used a lot of digital uh, Bible stuff, tablets, PC, my phone. But I've come to figure out that I miss, I'm missing something when I'm, I'm in digital space trying to find what God is saying because when I have it in, in physical structure, I end up finding more about God than when I'm just floating in digital space. My own personal opinion, but uh, so I've gone back to the book. Exodus 32, 1 through 6 says, When the people saw Moses, that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us because this Moses, this man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Then Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings around your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people took off the gold things that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into the image of a calf. Then he said, Israel, this is your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and he made announcements and there will be a festival of the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning they arose, offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink. Then they got up to rebel. Aaron, if you go back and read, you'll, you'll find that Aaron was involved with direct communications with God. He had to know this one, this wasn't good. If you read on you'll, and around this, you'll see that God knew what was going on. And he told Moses, he said, hey, the folks down there aren't, aren't doing the right thing. The people, immediately after going through all that they went through and seeing all the wondrous signs that they saw, end up saying, hey, we need a God because this guy that took us through all that, he's not around. Somehow they were missing God, missing who's responsible for what was going on. And even Aaron caves into the pressures of the local folks who say they need a God. So he makes one up. And, and the title of the, today's sermon is, is somebody going to say something? Because see, I don't, when I read this, I don't see anybody standing up going, hey, you sure this is a good idea? Because I know what the teachings say and the teachings don't say hey make a golden calf
Let's go on. We're going to go over to uh, 1 Kings 1 through 9. Or 1 Kings 9, 1 through 9, sorry. When Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all, all that Solomon desired to do, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, just as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and petition that you've made before me. I have connected the temple, this temple you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. If you or your sons turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments, my statutes that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and worship them, I will cut off Israel from the land I gave them, and I will reject the temple I have sacrificed for my name. You see, God was on board with what Solomon was doing because at the time Solomon was on board with God and there's a lot of folks who have a probably have a hard time with this because they'll say wait a second God knows everything that's going to happen he and as we read on we know that the kings the future kings are not going to follow God we're going to talk a little bit about that I I believe wholeheartedly when God told Solomon that that if you stay with me and you follow what I do what I say to do it'll all be good that's a paraphrase but if you don't I'll cut you off and it's it's a pretty simple uh, equation when God tells, says something to man, if man does it, God blesses that and everything goes on as it should. But God can't let things go on in a positive manner if people are going to turn against him, deny him, not observe the things that he teaches. It's a very simple equation, and if we look back through history, you can see it, can't you? It's all over the place. And I know that everybody in here over the last few years has said it to some degree, look what's going on. Can you believe what's going on? God told Solomon directly, and later on, Solomon's going to do the things that God said not to do. He's going to marry foreign wives that are going to bring in other gods, and he's going to entertain those, those other gods just because of his wives. And spoiler alert, things aren't going to go well. There wasn't anybody on Solomon's court that said, Hey, Solomon... 
You remember, I know you told me what God said. There wasn't. There was not. So down the line, Solomon's offspring. So let's go to uh, 1 Kings 16. And you can pick, pick a king. Right? In this whole list, you can pick one. It doesn't matter. But we're going to pick Ahab. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 16, 29, and uh, go all the way to uh, seven, chapter 17, verse 7. Ahab, son of Om, Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judah's king, king Asa. See, at the time, there's, the kingdoms are split, right? Israel and Judah. Asa is the king of Judah. Now Omri is the king of Israel. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel for, in Samaria for 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, were a trivial matter, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and worship him. See, he's, he's, following, he's following Solomon on this deal. He's marrying the wrong person, and he's entertaining somebody other than God and he's doing evil things in the sight of God he set up an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria Ahab also made an Asherah pole Ahab did more to provoke the Lord of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him so remember I said pick a king well this one this one's worse as if it matters right they're all bad during his reign, Hiel, the Bethelite, built Jericho, and at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid its foundation, and at the cost of Segub, his youngest, he set up the gates, according to the word of the Lord, had spoken through uh, Joshua, the son of Nun. Chapter 17, now Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, from, the, from Gilead set, settlers, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during those years except by my command. Then a revelation from the Lord came to him, leave there, turn eastward, and hide yourself at the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the Wadi, and I have commanded the ravens to provide you there. So he did what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived by the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens were bringing him bread and meat in the morning and then the evening, and he drank from the Wadi. After a while, the Wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So, on the theme of some, will somebody say something, in this time of Ahab, one person says something says, hey, the land's going to dry up. And it's going to be at God's command. Of course, they ignored it. 
but this one person said something. Later, he prays, the water dries up, in three and a half years, it doesn't rain. One, one prophet said something. Now, I'm bringing, the, I'm bringing the, these three sets of scripture up because I want to show you the model that was. The model that was, was either God was talking directly to, to the king or Moses or others, or there's a prophet, a prophet that stands out of the many and says, hey, this isn't right. Well, I'm going to present to you a slightly different model as time goes on. And what I think the model is at this very moment and what the differences are. So if you would turn over with me to Luke chapter 4. Verse 24, we're going to hear Jesus speak here as, as, he, as that transition, I think, in the model is, is taking place. Jesus is going to make a comment. In verse 24, he also said, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days. And when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who were serious, with serious skin disease, yet not one of them was healed only Naaman and Syrian. And I, I bring this up to show you the old model. Jesus here says that no prophet is welcome in his own land. The old model was, was, was tough and very difficult. And as you can see, God is, or Christ is saying, hey, there were other, there were other folks in need. There were many in need, many widows. Many people starved, had skin afflictions and everything else. Guess what happened? Not good things. Not good things. So while this was the old model, I don't think today's model, <coughs> I don't think today's model or I think today's model addresses an issue here. You see, there's a lot of people today with affliction. There's a lot of people today with pain and suffering. There's a lot of people today who are just lost down a road that they don't even want to be on. And I think when, when uh, God sent Christ, he decided to change a few things so that those afflictions and those people would be addressed. Remember the Old Testament? 
Half the people didn't even have God. New Testament, everybody has God. Well, I, we need a new model. We need something else. We don't just need one prophet of the whole entire group to stand up and say, hey, something's not right. Right? In Ahab's time, he, he, he builds an altar to Baal. There had to be a bunch of people around that knew that worshiping Baal wasn't a good plan. Had to be. But they didn't say anything. So the model that I, I would like to present this morning that's changed goes directly to me and you. The model has changed as to who should stand up and say something, as to who should stand up and do something. So I want to look at uh, Exodus uh, 19, 5 through 6. So we've got to go back in the Old Testament for just a second. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, if you listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although all the earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. See, this isn't this, this new model I talk about. This new model I talk about wasn't cooked up at the very end. It was the plan way back, if you go look at it. That's how God wanted it. Remember, God's talking to Solomon. God says, I will bless this temple. I'll be here. Do what I say. Because that he would. That was true. A lot of, like I said, a lot of people want to want to tear the pins out from underneath that by saying, oh, God knew that wasn't going to stand. He would have, because he said it, and that was his model. That was what he wanted. And he just said, hey, if your sons start disobeying, then I'm going to have to do something. Because at the time, Christ had not come. Sin was not redeemed in God's rules stand. Let's go to uh, 1 Peter 2. We're, we're on this idea of this priesthood. 1 Peter 2. Verses 1 through 10. It says, so rid yourselves of all wickedness, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the unadulterated spiritual milk, so that you may grow by, in it, by it in your salvation. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, 
coming to him a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, look, I lay a stone in Zion, in the chosen and valuable cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. <coughs> You're starting to see the, the new model. You're starting to see what is now, after Christ has uh, sacrificed. So the honor is for you who believe. Who is that? The honor is for you who believe. Is that the one single Elijah? Or is it everybody? And it's a rhetorical question. The honor is for you who believe. And the honor, if you refer back to this priesthood. But for the... But for the unbelieving, the stone and the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that trips them up. They stumble by disobeying the message. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim his praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. <coughs> the model's changed. Now it's us. It's us. We still face the same exact things, because if you look threaded through that language, it says, hey, pay attention to the spiritual gifts, do the right things, etc., etc." Do what I commanded you. Don't fall into the trap, the sinful trap. But did you hear the word proclaim in there? It's in there and it applies to us all. The answer to what's going on with the folks who don't know Christ or don't accept Christ is for his word to be proclaimed. It is a living word and it has the power to change anybody. Saul, Paul, it can change anybody. But we have to proclaim it. We have to move it forward. I've got two examples of folks that knew Christ, knew the word, and at times in their lives failed to proclaim him as the Christ. There's two examples that, I, that come to mind readily. First of which is Peter. Right? Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. The second of which is Judas, who denied Christ, turned him in. But the outcomes are very different. And I bring these two examples up because, because sitting there, I'm sure you're, it's going to cross your mind, like, wait a second, I, 
There are times when I, I stumble, I fall, I don't proclaim Jesus. I fail to do that. Am I, am I in trouble? Well, Peter did. He stumbled. He denied Christ. But in Acts 2, he's out preaching Christ at the risk of his very own life. He continues to preach Christ at the risk of his very own life. You see, he, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be times when you, when you don't do it. But the overall heart of Peter was to proclaim Christ. The overall heart of Judas was not. And it didn't work out right well. You see, at God's word, well, way back in the Old Testament, if you do these things, I'm going to bless that and it's going to continue on. If you don't, it, there's going to be peril. So these two examples I bring up because that you and I are in that camp, one of those two camps. And I, and I tend to concentrate on the Peter example because the Peter example has grace, has mercy. But nevertheless, Peter had to get up. Even doing that, he could have beaten himself up and gone into obscurity. But he didn't. He got up and proclaimed the, the word of Christ. And... That's the new model. It says, it says in there that we are a royal priesthood. You see, the beauty of it is the temple's been moved. That temple that God talked about in the Old Testament, that temple's been moved to right here. <coughs> it cannot be destroyed. That temple's right there in all of you. And God is there. There are folks that need to know about that. They need to know. As they, as they become aware of it and, and come in contact with it, the temple only expands. And I, I bring this up to not just say, well, in today's world, we got to call out this evil. Ahab building a temple to Baal, that's evil. Call, let's call it out. But I, it's not even as direct as that that we need to do. It's not just the, the crazy over-the-top evil things that we see going on. It's, it's the fact that that's just the that somebody may not know Christ they may not know what those what he can do and you know there's folks you know that are like that it's also by speaking out by us speaking out now instead of the one prophet or the one preacher or the one elder or or such if we're all speaking out, there's others out there that become edified by that. You see, 
I bet everybody in here has a different opinion on whether they think the majority of folks in this country believe in God or don't believe in God. I bet you have some differing opinions. And it's what well, it seems like nobody does anymore. There's a whole lot of people that are out there that need to know we're here. Just for their own sake, because they, they too believe, but they just don't know who to be with, who to interact with. And they, it can seem very daunting for them that, that they're an island unto themselves. So there's, a many, there's many reasons for us needing to reach out and spread this message. And it's not just for the crazy evildoers of this world. It's not. So we, we read uh, James... I want to read it again, James 5. Because there's a, there's a certain power in what, what I'm presenting today. There's a certain power in this, in you exerting your belief. And in, in James 5, it talks about that, starting at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save a sick person. The prayer of faith will save a sick person. And the prayer and the Lord will raise him up, and, he is, if, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. So the very, the very basis of our proclamation lies in prayer. It doesn't end there, but it's, it lies in prayer. Then it goes on to say, Elijah was a man with nature like ours. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. See, there's power. There's power in prayer. There's power in, in making that proclamation. There's power in, act, in action. It's not just passive, like, well, we're just going to see what happens. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him back, he should know that whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. The, the, the first verses there, the first six verses, seven verses, talk about, a lot about prayer, but all of a sudden, that last prayer, that last prayer, if you turn a sinner away from what they're doing, what happens? There's a lot of folks in that boat today, in here and out there, that now that we are this royal priesthood, that is what we need to be doing. 
it's not just Elijah. It's not just one person standing up here. It's all of us. And there's somebody that we all know that is in need of saving. And when I say that sentence, their faces roll right across through my head that I know. And so I'm asking, I'm asking here today, I'm not asking, God's asking for all of us to now make that proclamation. I'll go so far as to say as to be Elijah. It's, it, it just can't be that somebody else is going to do it. Not now. Not today. Not in what the New Testament has to say. That's not the model. It's really not. The model is we all need to do these things. And <coughs> I want to wrap up by saying, by this verse, Matthew 10 32 through 33. So, if what, what has been said from here, from this book, hasn't convinced you yet, I'm hoping that this verse convinces you of the premise of, of uh, this presentation. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, everything, everyone who will acknowledge me before men I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Sounds a lot like Peter and Judas. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. So I went a little long there. But the, the point is, Jesus says here, confess me before men. Now, we, this morning, we confessed Christ before men. We did. We had communion. Every time we take communion, you confess, his, you confess Jesus Christ. And that's good. My premise is that there's other men and women that need to know your confession about Christ outside of these walls. We just read, we just read in, James, in James that said, if you turn a sinner, if you recover a sinner, pull him back. That's a big deal. So confessing Christ before those that are in that situation, that's what we need to be doing. And it says, confess me before men, and I'll confess you to the Father. We've got to do it. And I said it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable this morning because that's, that's where we're at here at Spring Road. There are too many people outside 
that don't know Christ. And there is an active effort, and you may think I'm a conspiracy theorist, but there's an active effort to eliminate God and Christ out of any words and teaching outside these walls. Active effort. And all Christ is saying is, just keep pushing forward. Don't huddle up. I got your back. Just do what I'm asking and keep going. Keep pushing it out there because if you read all of this, you'll find out that God wants everyone to be with him. Now, does God know everything and what's going to happen? Yeah, he does. Just like he was talking to Solomon, it's this, he plays by the same exact rules. I want everyone, therefore go out and let everybody know that I exist. That's our charge. That's this morning, that's, that's what we're asking, is for you to consider whatever you can do, whatever category you can get into, make sure you're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. One way or another. And seriously look at everyone that you come in contact with as being a potential needer of Jesus. Even if they already are, are plugged in. Because they'll just be edified. And they may go on to find somebody else. So either way, it's a, it's a win. So, message is yours. With that, uh, it, it can sound tough at times. It can sound daunting. Like, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I'm not Elijah. No, you're not. That model's gone. And no, somebody else, it's not just one person standing up somewhere is going to do it. It's you opening that temple up to other folks every single day. That being said, anybody needs to come down uh, forward or if it would be great if anybody needs to be baptized. But with that being said, let's stand and sing.